Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our Strange Stories series with the story of Naaman and how anger can get in the way of your healing. Let's listen. Well, I was a youth pastor for many years, and there's only been one time that I had to fire a volunteer. And this is that story. So, at this point in uh, the history of that church, we had 100 middle school students that were all meeting together for youth group on Wednesday nights. And they would meet for the last half hour in small groups. I would go around and kind of check on each small group and make sure they were doing okay. And the hardest small group to manage was the eighth grade boys. Now, I, I gotta tell you, I love eighth grade boys. They've got so much energy. They're bouncing off the walls. They, when you ask a question, they will answer with a variety of things, not always directly related to what you asked. And so I love them, but we had one particularly, particular small group leader who really struggled. And so I'd been kind of working with him and, and coaching him up because he felt called to do it. But on this particular night, when I went to go and visit with that small group, I heard that he lost his temper with these eighth grade boys. Now, I didn't hear all the details, but I heard enough to make me concerned to say, ooh, I need to follow up with him. So I called him. I said, well, let's, let's go get a coffee this week. I invited him out to Starbucks. I said, what if we meet at Starbucks and talk about what happened? And my thought was, it's a neutral environment. We can have coffees together, make it a little bit more lighthearted, and hopefully he feels more open to talking about whatever happened on that particular Wednesday night. Well, we met, I broached the topic, and that was as far as I got, because then he lost his temper with me as well. I'll tell you, that is the only time in my life where I've been cursed at in the middle of Starbucks. I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. But how often does that happen when you lose your temper? It just snaps, doesn't it? It comes out quickly and unexpectedly. Well, what was supposed to be a conversation about helping him grow in his leadership position ended up being a conversation where I dismissed him from leadership in general. Anger. Anger is a funny thing, isn't it? We all experience it. It's part of the human experience, but it can manifest itself in different ways, can't it? I mean, sure, there can be the explosive anger, like what I just uh, described in this story. But many times, I think it's more of that low-level resentment that you feel, and you're mad at someone, but you're not necessarily telling them that you're mad at them, but you still feel kind of like this, don't you, when you are holding in that resentment. I kind of wonder, when you lose your temper— you really lose control of yourself for a moment, don't you? I wonder if that's why they call it losing your temper, because all of a sudden you're a different person. Well, I would like to explore this idea of anger, because it's present in our Bible story today, and it's something that everybody experiences, whether they like to or not, throughout their life. And so what do the scriptures tell us about approaching those times in our lives when we're dealing with anger. So go ahead and, and put in the back of your heads that moment that maybe is causing a little resentment in your life right now and apply it to our scripture today, all right? 
Okay, so here's how it begins. We have this famous military commander. His name is Naaman. And this famous military commander is the one who deals with anger. This story comes from 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Okay, so you heard this a little bit from Bailey already in the children's message, where you have this person, Naaman. He's the main uh, character in our story, and he is a famous military commander. He has won many battles for this country of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. But he suffers from this horrible disease. He suffers from leprosy. And leprosy is a skin disease. Uh, It's very painful. Uh, It's disfiguring. And so on this one hand, he's famous in his country. And on the other hand, he now suffers from leprosy and is kind of having to be separate from his country. But he's told by someone in his household that there's a person in Israel that there's a prophet in Israel that can heal him. So he goes to the king with this information. And here's what happens next. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. And I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant, Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So the king of Aram is ecstatic. Ecstatic that maybe someone exists that can heal my legendary military commander. And so he sends him to Israel, and he sends him directly to the king of Israel with two things. The first is a letter of introduction, right? From one king to another, saying, hey, this is my guy. This is Naaman. So take good care of him. You need to make sure that when he comes back, he's healed. So he sends him with a letter of introduction, but then he also sends him with all of these gifts. Did you catch the highlighted section? 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. What he's doing is saying, look, this is how important this person is to me. And so I would love for you to make sure that he is healed by the time he comes back. Now, you may have been with us a couple of weeks ago when we studied the story of the donkey. That was the story of Balaam, and Balaam was a prophet for hire, where if you paid him enough money, he would prophesy however you want. And so they're thinking that this prophet who is in Israel, well, he must work the same way. If we give him enough gold and silver and clothes, well, he's going to heal whoever we want him to heal, right? And so they send all of this directly to the king of Israel, because they don't know where this prophet is. And the king of Israel has a fascinating response. 
Here's what he says. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. So the king of Israel is horrified. Horrified because they believe, oh, you can make sure that this healing happens. But the king of Israel knows that there's only one true God. And that is the God that can heal. That is the God that can give life and take it away. And the king of Israel goes, I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. That's not something that I can do. And that's probably surprising to Naaman. Because Naaman came from a country with many gods. Not just one god, like in Israel, but many gods. One of their gods, the most famous, was the god of Rimen. And Rimen was the storm god. He was known for creating the weather. He was the god of thunder. And he, Naaman, is coming from a country that believed that every god served a purpose. And so the god of weather controls the weather. The god of livestock controls the livestock. Every god has a purpose. And if you give enough offering, if you bribe the gods enough, they're going to do whatever you want them to do. So he's expecting that Israel is going to work the same way. He goes, okay, they've got a God in Israel that can heal. This is the God of healing. And so we expect, if we give enough money, that this God is going to heal Naaman. You know, I see this attitude, and it's really the attitude of, of what is this God going to do for me? Now, the king of Israel wants nothing to do with this. He wants nothing to do with this because he knows the one true God. And lucky for Naaman, a prophet named Elisha hears of all of this happening. So here's what happens next. It says, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Okay, so I want you to use your imaginations for a second. Go ahead and, and imagine the contrast of this scene. You have Elisha, who is a prophet. And so prophets lived in very humble dwellings. I want you to imagine just this small little house, probably on the outskirts of town. Nothing fancy. But then you have Naaman. And Naaman, this famous military commander, comes with all of these horses, with all of these chariots. And what are the horses carrying? Tons of silver, tons of gold, all of these bribes, and they're standing right outside this small little house of the prophet. It's almost like the message that's being conveyed in this scene is, hey, we've got enough power 
and money and prestige that whatever God you worship should do whatever we ask of it. Have you ever met someone that was full of pride? I'm sure you have, right? We all have before. And it, what I find interesting, though, is that when you're having conversation with someone that you can just tell is really struggling with pride, the conversation always ends up back on them. It doesn't matter if you start talking about yourself or sharing about a story, it'll somehow end back up on the person because they want to talk about themselves. And that's really what Naaman is dealing with here. He just believes, I am important enough that Elisha and this God that Elisha serves should do whatever I ask. In this case, heal me of leprosy. Elisha, though, did you notice, does something very wise. He doesn't go out to meet with him. He doesn't give him an audience. He sends a messenger instead. I can imagine Elisha just kind of looking out his window, seeing all the horses and, and chariots and the great display of wealth, and he knows exactly who Naaman is. He knew, knows exactly what Naaman expects, and so Elisha doesn't leave his house. He doesn't go and meet him. Instead, he sends this messenger. Now, the messenger has a great message, doesn't he? I mean, the message is the possibility that he could be healed. This is exactly what Naaman wanted. The, the message is go down to the Jordan River. Wash yourself seven times, and after you do that, you're going to be healed. That's the whole reason that you came to Israel in the first place. So Naaman is getting what he wants, isn't he? But he's not getting it in the way that he wanted. So his reaction is not one of joy. That would be what I would expect, right? He's going to be healed. I would expect he'd go, yes, I'm so thankful. No, his reaction is not one of joy. His reaction is one of anger. And here's where we're going to get into anger a little bit in our story. The next verse says, But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Parfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Naaman's anger is getting in the way of his healing. So put yourself in this story. What is Naaman angry at? Well, he's angry at a couple of things. But first, he's angry at Elisha, isn't he? Because Elisha has wounded his pride. He did not come out and meet him face to face. And this famous military commander thought, well, surely I am worth meeting face to face. After all, who wouldn't want to meet someone as important as Naaman? And so his pride is a bit wounded. He feels disrespected. In Hebrew, the pronoun is actually emphasized. So Naaman says, well, I thought Elisha would certainly come out and meet me, and me is emphasized in Hebrew, going, listen, I'm that important. Naaman's pride here 
is at an all-time high. And he's responding to this whole situation in a very egocentric way, where his ego is what is important. So that's the first thing he's angry at. He's angry at Elisha. But he's also angry at Elisha's God because they can't buy him off, right? They're trying to control this God of Israel, but the God of Israel is not doing what he wants. He's, I love how he said, I just expected that this, you would kind of wave your hands over me and then your God would do whatever you wanted it to do. It's like us, if we, it's like if we said, okay, if I go to church and if I give enough to the church, then, then God's going to grant me a, an easy life. That's a little bit of what Naaman's expecting here. But it doesn't work like that, does it? Now, notice, Naaman says, Elisha, why don't you call on the name of your God? It's not my God. I don't really care about your God, but it's your God. Make your God do what you want. So he's mad at Elisha. He's mad at Elisha's God. And the third thing he's mad at is he's just mad at the whole country. The whole country of Israel. That's where our river picture comes in. He goes, really? You want me to bathe in one of those rivers? In the Jordan River? No way. I mean, my country has much nicer rivers than any country in Israel. If I'm going to go bathe in a river, I would have just stayed home to do it. The healing of Naaman is all about him. Right? Elisha should have come out to meet me. Elisha's God should heal me. My rivers are better than their rivers. So Naaman's hurt pride is transformed into anger. Here's where I want us to start applying it to our lives, to our own experiences of resentment and anger. So for your life, when does anger get in the way of your healing? And here's what I mean by that. I'm reading a fascinating book right now for my doctoral program. It's called The Angry Christian. And when I saw that on my book list, I thought, that sounds interesting. The Angry Christian. The cover even looks angry, doesn't it? All red like that, and you got some swirls going on. But the whole book begins with a really interesting question. And the question is, is anger a part of God's design for us, right? So when God made us in God's image, is anger a part of that image of God? Or is anger a part of our fallen creation? Is anger a part of our creation that's not God-given, that we want to avoid whenever possible? Another way to put that is, is it okay for Christians to become angry, or when we become angry, is that a sign that we are sinning? Well, that's what the book has a, a great conversation about. And, and ultimately, the book believes that anger is a part of how God created us. Anger is a part of our God-given design. And one of the things it points to is it points to the life of Jesus. Think of the times in the Gospels when Jesus became angry. There are several examples. I think probably the most common one that we all think of is the time when Jesus entered the temple and saw that the temple had created an abusive system that was really hurting the poor. And so his response to that was to become angry. So angry that he formed a whip 
He drove the people out of the temple, and then he flipped the tables uh, so the money changers could not come back. But that is not to say that, okay, as Christians, we can just emulate that. So the next time you get mad, go flip a table. That's not at all what we're saying. But instead, what the book really encourages us to do is to say, well, but what's the root of Jesus's anger? What is causing his anger? And what's causing Jesus's anger is injustice. Something is wrong in the world, and that makes him angry. And I bet you can look at our world today, and you can see things that are wrong with this world. And and those wrongs end up hurting people. And that can make you angry, doesn't it? It's that sort of anger that Jesus would say, Use that as a call to action, as a call to action to go in and right the wrongs of the world. So when you start feeling that anger, instead of repressing it or saying, oh, no, I'm a good Christian, I'm not supposed to feel this way. No, instead of doing that, say, okay, well, what is the source of my anger? And is it an injustice that I can actually do something about? Do you see how different that is from Naaman's anger? Naaman was simply angry because of his own wounded pride. He was angry because he felt disrespected. And unfortunately, I think that's generally the source of our anger too. We're not angry because of an injustice in the world. We're angry because, oh, someone said something rude to me, and my pride was hurt by that. Or someone doesn't appreciate me as much as I want to be appreciated. This story is getting us to really consider what is the source of our anger and what do we do with it once we recognize that source. We're told that Naaman got so angry that he left in a rage. He wasn't even interested in the healing anymore. Because again, anger can blind us, right? We sometimes call it seeing red because you're not thinking straight anymore. And so Naaman leaves in a rage because of his unhealthy expression of anger. But lucky for him, he's got some officers around him who have common sense. And so here's what the officers say to him. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Naaman is healed. Why? Why is he able to be healed? Because he was able to swallow his pride. He washed in the river, even though it wasn't as nice of a river as his rivers back home. He followed Elisha's command, even though Elisha didn't even meet with him in person. You see, Naaman had a choice. And one option was he could have just clung on to his anger. He could have held on with tight fists to his resentment, and said, no, I'm not going to let go of that. And we do that all the time, don't we? 
I mean, we think that we're right, and so we plant a flag in the ground and say, I'm not moving past that point because I'm right, and that person is wrong, and we just hang on to that feeling of indignation. Clinging to one's pride, stewing in one's anger, it has to be one of the most destructive things that we can do to ourselves. Healing never would have come if Naaman did not let go of his rage. I believe that the reason that this story is remembered in our Bibles, the reason that we continue preaching about it thousands of years later is because Naaman did something that is very challenging to do. He released his anger. He let go of his pride. And in that act of letting go, healing was able to work its way in. Oftentimes, healing isn't going to work its way in if you're so full of anger and rage. There's no room for it. There's a great quote from this book that I'm reading. You've probably heard some variation of it before. But it says, Resentment is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. Isn't there truth in that? Where I'm so mad at this other person and they don't even know it, but I feel it, and it's, it's like you drink poison, and it's affecting you, and this other person is completely unaware. What I find amazing is that Naaman was able to somehow let go of that anger, to say, I'm going to move past this. I'm not going to let my rage define me or block my healing. And so he moved to a place of healing. And I wonder for you, whatever it is that is making you upset, or that little resentment that you're clinging to, is there a possibility for you to release that? And what would healing look like if you truly did? What I find incredible in this story is that Naaman not only experienced physical healing, he experienced spiritual healing as well. Here's the last verse of this story that we're going to cover. It says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him, and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So Naaman goes back to Elisha. He goes back to that humble little dwelling, and Elisha is outside waiting for him. And he goes to Elisha and says, Okay, I get it. I get it. I worshiped all these gods that I thought would do what I told them to if I offered enough to them, but now I realize that that was wrong. Now I realize that there is truly only one God in the world, and it is the God of Israel. Naaman traveled from arrogance to humility. Naaman traveled from cynicism towards God to confidence in God. Naaman ends this story as a changed man, showing us that change is truly possible. So, are you hanging on to bitterness? Are you hanging on to anger or resentment? Then the encouragement of this morning is to release it to God or to allow God to channel it, to produce something good, but don't let it get in the way of your healing. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.